Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss Emotet Your Bottom Dollar, an update on the dreaded Emotet. Next up, somewhere over the ransomware. The ransomware task force shares framework to disrupt the ransomware business model. And of course, two truths and a lie. Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 84, recorded on May 3rd, 2021. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, pun of your business, LaBelle, with me co-host, Chad, at least it wasn't Screamo Tet Anderson, and last, but certainly not least, Tim, one-man task force, Helming. Tim, you're not alone. You're not a single-man task force. Well, sometimes I am, but... You know, just for my own tasks. By the way, happy early uh, Star Wars Day, everybody, since we won't be talking to you on Star Wars Day. I guess it'll be belated Star Wars Day for everyone listening in. That's mm-hmm. that's a good point. Yeah. it. Uh, I forget that I'm actually speaking to the future right now. You got any stock tips? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that's what I like to p- ask people when I'm on calls with folks in Australia. Um Gets a laugh one out of 20 times. So one of my better jokes, I'd say, from a quantitative standpoint. Yeah, actually, that's a real performer right there. (laughs) I just had an interaction with my wife. I posted this on Twitter um, where she has been organizing very kindly all of our our things. We just moved into our first home together and she shared them with me and it was a whole shelf full of jars. And then the other one was a whole shelf full of mugs. And I told her that... You know, I was, it was a little bit jarring and it looked a little muggy in there and she did not (laughs) appreciate. And then I ended Mm. the tweet with a third pun and I was workshopping it with her and she was like, hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the thing is, Kelsey, anybody who's known you for more than like five minutes knows what they're getting into. I know. She had her chance to run away. I'm telling you. (laughs) That's right. That's on her. (laughs) Good thing you recovered there though. It could have been, you know, if you didn't recover, it could have been your first night on the couch. Um, <laughs> we don't even so. have a couch. I think <laughs> then it's a really good thing you recovered. Really good. I'll be sleeping on our dog's bed. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes oh, those gosh. are really nice. That's true. Yeah. We've slept on her bed before when we were yeah. moving. Actually, we kind of joked about it with our friends, and then we we took her bed and put it under our blankets, and she just looked at us like, "What the hell? Like that's my bed." <laughs> That's not how this works. I'm the captain now. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, it's, uh, they they are, we are in a, uh, the golden age of pet accoutrements. And uh, they, I'm sure that they make dog beds that are better than most beds I've owned as a human. Mm, Certainly. Uh, If you ever have spare time on your hands, um, which I expect everyone here does, um, because it's COVID, um, I highly recommend. Hey, going hey, to some that. of us are one-man task forces, Kelsey. Sorry, sorry. Oh my gosh, not very. Chad, so here's what you can do. Um, okay. <laughs> go to Casper's website and look at the reviews for their dog bed. Oh my gosh, Casper has a dog bed. <laughs> Purple's yeah, they- got up their game. All right, we're not getting paid by any mattress companies, people. <laughs> Nothing else, mattress. Okay. Oh boy. Well, we should get started. We actually have a lot to go through. This is a pretty dense episode. So we're going to do some spitfire questions here. I think we're just going to hot seat Mm. the one man task force. And at least it wasn't Screamo Ted Anderson. Um, So the first 
conversation piece we have here for an article is about Emotet, as you can imagine from Chad's title. So Emotet, your bottom dollar. On January 27th, Europol announced a global operation to take down the botnet behind what is considered by most uh, some really, really bad, potentially the most dangerous malware. And they did so by you know, gaining control of its infrastructure and taking it down from the inside. So shortly after, Emotet controllers started to deliver a special payload that had code to remove some stuff from it, which we'll get into a little bit more here during the episode. And so there was some great blogs and some tweets that went out in this past week that clarified this special payload. So Chad, digging into the saga with Emotet, let's unwind and rewind. Uh, we'll unwind with a, um, a nice burrito and we'll rewind in time to January and Europol's announcement and subsequent takedown. So is there anything important or helpful before we move to current events that you want to remind our audience about? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, uh, if, if you need to keep a burrito warm, get a burrito. That's the first thing that I heard about that in January. So uh, that's what we're talking about here, right? Um, yeah. No, uh, we're going a little too hard with our sponsorships with uh, the yeah. mattress companies, the burrito yeah. companies. <laughs> We've been sleeping on them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Emotet's like long plagued everyone in Defender Circles. It's so effective. Uh, and you would see, like, if you do any sort of virus research, uh, like I do, and you're on Virus Total looking for samples, uh, Emotet crops up in everything. Like, you you really have to work hard um, to, like, not run into an Emotet sample. And it just seemed ubiquitous. Um, and, and that pretty much catches us up to uh, today, you know, and that... Um, that's kind of how it's been for years. Um, so it, it's wonderful that uh, Emotet install day finally came and went. Oh my gosh. Did you celebrate this weekend, Chad? This big day? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. The, this, <laughs> As we'll get to later, the sadness is coming. The sadness <laughs> is coming. Oh my gosh. So getting into this a bit, uh, according to this researcher known on Twitter as Milk Cream, I hope I am parsing that correctly. Um, they observed a new payload of sorts. So what can you tell us about this activity? Yeah, so they uh, uploaded, well, they noticed a new payload, right, um, as has been mentioned. Um, and shortly after that, that was followed up with a press release by the DOJ um, after more analysis had popped up on Twitter. It was a, it was a strange new payload. You know, there hadn't been um, a lot for a minute. So uh, it, it's kind of funny how Twitter is always the fastest way you can receive any security news, right? It's before the DOJ could even um, drop a report someone spotted it. Yeah, and speaking of what was this press release then that the DOJ put out? Yes, they were talking about they partnered with a bunch of law enforcement um, partners around uh, the world, uh, Europol and um, everyone. And uh, I think a large German agency, it doesn't matter, you know, a lot of police agencies. uh, And uh, they worked with uh, those partners (laughs) to be able to load the uninstaller on tier two and tier three servers in the Emotet bot network. Um, And they basically crafted this uh, DLL that is a uh, uninstalled DLL. Installing an uninstaller is kind of like that question, a rhetorical question people ask sometimes, which is like, if if you have pasta and antipasta, do they cancel each other out? That's how oh. I feel about installing an uninstaller. <laughs> yeah, they do actually cancel each other out. That's the great thing. You can eat forever <laughs> in Italy. I've done it. <laughs> Math Just, works out. <laughs> yeah, it's science. Science. Oh, gosh. So what can you tell us about this, this uninstaller then? 
Yeah, so uh, this one, you know, it, it uninstalls. Uh, that's what it does. Groundbreaking. Um, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but it sets up to uninstall the Emotet software on April 25th, 2021, um, which is, you know, several days past now. Um, but, you know, still important to talk about since this is kind of a new um, thing for the DOJ to be doing. You know, takedowns of uh, bot networks are... Uh, rare and particularly rarer with um, by like injecting code into those networks, right? So, uh, funnily enough, um, people originally thought that this was going to take place on March 25th, um, but the folks that did the analysis forgot that all programmers count from zero. So, the um, month column was a three, uh, which is April for anyone who counts from zero. So, uh, anyways, it's a rather simple DLL. It just cleans up associated emotet files, uh, removes its persistence mechanisms, and then um, tries to copy itself. Uh, incorrectly over to the temp directory. How were these law enforcement agencies able to achieve persistence? So this is like, if we're talking about persistence, you know, it's it's how Emotet kind of uh, maintained its persistence, which is through uh, run keys um, that fire off on boot and then system services. It's pretty typical stuff for most malware and uh, it's super effective for most Windows malware. And that's why most Windows malware uses it. Um, and it was the same thing. I believe they had a specific run key for this um, DLL that would kick it off uh, after it copied itself into place, if I remember right. But um, yeah, it was the uh, same old thing. You know, run key, super effective. For sure. And I'm curious, too. I thought I read, and correct me if I'm wrong, that law enforcement had a small hiccup, if you will. And so what what happened that was slightly different than their intention? Yeah, so from the code, it looks like uh, there was just an error. They meant to, um, the, the function that they were using is supposed to copy the file um, into a temp directory. Um, a copy, you know, the law enforcement payload into a temp directory after it's done its cleanup. Um, but they got the syntax wrong for um, that function. So it actually just has a, uh, like a name collision that happens. And then, um, you know, nothing happens there. It goes on with the cleanup routine. So minor glitch. A minor glitch. A minor glitch. <laughs> that describes my brain before I've had time for my coffee to settle in. Mm, I, I thought you were going to go down like the glitch minor, like you, like hi ho, hi ho kind of deal, but uh, <laughs> that's that, that works too. <laughs> well, getting back to this mysterious special payload that we've identified here, what happens if the uninstall isn't immediately called? Yeah, so there's an additional um, payload that's like a regularly obfuscated Emotet DLL um, that's different than the uninstall one that I think it's called x.dll or something is what uh, the Malwarebytes folks named it. Um, and that one uh, has a kind of follow-up just in case the uninstall doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, what that one does is it calls out to the law enforcement controlled C2 server. Um, and from what I understand from looking at it, I didn't dive super deep on the sample because uh, Emotet has uh, worn me down for years and I just don't want to look at it. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, from what I understand, it's it's meant to be a, like if the Emotet operator figured out how to stop the uninstall uh, DLL, this would at least be something that calls out to a law enforcement controlled server so they could get some telemetry on what's happening. Yeah, and it sounds like there was some other syntax of sort built in the if-then statements. Um, I'm trying to remember what the final option was that was built into the payload. It was a second stage. Globothermonuclear war. Um, <laughs> Proportionate. Yeah. Proportionate <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, just always have to quote war games. 
uh but yeah so you know kind of uh in the end i guess uh emotet here right has been largely dismantled um but i kind of as i hinted at earlier i doubt that'll be the end we talk about this a lot with takedowns and government actions on the podcast uh i just don't really see a world where unless an operator is behind bars that they would stop something that's so lucrative for them um, particularly with a bonnet as effective as emotet um, in fact this is probably a good chance for whoever's behind emotet to uh, fix things they didn't like in their original code improve upon persistence mechanisms um you know do some things uh, to make it even more advanced in whatever Emotet 2.0 is going to be. So if anything, I think we'll see a more effective Emotet emerge from this. Um, that said, though, I love these rogue elements that have been happening, the removal of the bots, uh, removal of web shells on vulnerable exchange servers, which we talked about a week or two weeks ago, um, and even people doing rogue patching on vulnerable IoT devices um, to stop the Mirai botnet variants, right? Uh, people get offended because you touch their device on their network, um, but when you aren't paying attention and taking care of it yourself, uh, someone needs to come along and do the cleanup. Uh, so just my take, but I'm also uh, not against a little red team work to get the blue team job done. Pretty sure that happened to some exchange servers recently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the uh, web shell removal. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it sounds almost therapeutic, dare I say, for the <laughs> the Emotet operators. They're like, yes, a clean canvas in which to uh, improve upon my last dreadful piece of art. They're yeah, all I mean, just doing the, uh, the Ben Kenobi, if you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pretty good Ben. You know, man, his name sounds much less majestic when you just call him by his first name, Ben Kenobi. Not yeah, even it's, Benjamin. This is Ben. Benjamin Kenobi. <laughs> My sister and I used to speculate on what Mr. Spock's first name might be. We uh, we decided that the funniest possibility was Neil. <laughs> Neil Spock. That's pretty good. I think that sounds right. Well, Tim, after you've heard Chad's thoughts here on this recent Emotet news, what would you rate this on our hoodie scale? Uh, it's currently on the goody scale or antimatter hoodies, uh, however you want to think about it. Um, and I, I, first of all, I fully agree with Chad that um, in the future, this is going to represent more hoodies because uh, Emotet is going to come back stronger, unfortunately. Um, but for now, I'm just going to choose to live in the present and near future, live in the moment, right? So I'm going to call this like nine goodies. Uh, Chad, what what would you say this is ranked at? Um, you know, I, I like the anti-hoodie scale, um, you know, so I'm going to go with, uh, let's say five anti-hoodies into the, into the goodies. Excellent. Well, thank you, Chad, for digging in there. And we're going to transition here into our next article, which is somewhere over the rainbow. I, I sang it in the intro, so I'm not going to sing it again, unless Chad or Tim wants to sing. I don't want to take that away from them. My, uh, my Judy Garland is not really up to par. <laughs> you've been working on that we talked about this tim oh my gosh well we're Damn it, i'm a one-man task force i have other <laughs> things i have to do it all comes back to the one-man task force oh gosh well speaking of task forces which is of course why tim referenced it and alluded to it in his intro um we have to talk about this ransomware task force which is a publicly par or 
a public party coalition, I believe of more than 50 experts, and they shared a framework of actions to disrupt this ransomware business model that has run rampant. So first of all, we have to give love to two people that were on that task force that have been on our podcast, and I'm sure that I've missed more, but Alan Liska um, was on this task force, is on this task force, and so is Katie Nichols, which is so exciting. So just a public shout out. out. Yes. You know it's a good task force if it's got them on it. Oh, 100%. That would just warm my heart when I saw it come out. And I was like, oh my gosh, Alan and Katie, they're they're the best. And so I apologize if I missed other folks on there. Again, there are 50 or so folks um, that have pooled their time and their resources and their efforts to put this really valuable framework together. So we're going to talk about something. I mean, it's it's like kind of bad, right? Because there's a huge problem and that's why the task force exists, but um, that all these people come together from the industry to do something really important uh, and help solve this massive undertaking. So again, Tim, Tim, this is a a more uplifting topic, but just for starters, I touched on it a little bit, but what is this ransomware task force? Yeah, this is a really interesting development. This is a group, um, as you're hinting at, it's composed of leadership from some of the big players that you'd expect, like Microsoft and Palo Alto Networks and Rapid7, as well as some NGOs like the Cyber Threat Alliance, Global Cyber Alliance, and the Institute for Security and Technology. And that's not quite all of them, but those are examples. And so they've all come together and authored this big report. And it's long. Uh, it's like 70 pages, but it's worth the read. Um, report on the impact of ransomware, but more importantly, what can be done to combat it. I think a really cool thing they did at the the onset of the report is they really defined the scale of the problem. Um, I would describe it as a, a, it's a pretty sweet graphic, I'd say. They did a good job of illustrating what the, the scope of the problem. But Tim, can you pull apart some of the figures that you might have found interesting that were mentioned? Yeah, if you count depressing as sweet, well, I'm kidding. But uh, if the stats in this graphic are to be believed, and I have no reason not to believe them, they include several increases in things that we don't want to see increased. So for example, the average payment is over $312,000, which is up 171% over 2019. That's according to Palo Alto. Chainalysis says that total payments uh, annually are over $350 million, uh, which is a 300% increase over the prior year. The average downtime is three weeks per Coveware. And the number of US organizations hit in 2020 was three times 800 or 2,400. And sorry, I just can't resist the threes there because it seems to be very threeful. <laughs> very threeful indeed. Uh, but something I really wanted to highlight too, it provided some actions that can be taken. I think they included, oh, I want to say nearly 50. So <laughs> if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the actions that maybe caught your eye and who they're hoping can help come together to curb this threat of ransomware. Sure. I think what I'll do, you know, to summarize it as much as possible for folks who haven't had a chance to read this is just give you the the idea that this, so this framework is organized around four major goals to deter ransomware attacks through a nationally and internationally coordinated strategy to disrupt the ransomware business model and reduce criminal profits. 
The third one is help organizations prepare for ransomware attacks. And the last one is uh, respond to ransomware attacks more effectively. So all of those sound like motherhood and apple pie. But when you look at the actual 48 recommendations, they get very specific about some of the ways they see governments and the private sector being able to help with all these things. Would you like me to do a dramatic reading of all 48? No. Okay. Well, I really like that. I know you would, but (laughs) the podcast would become very long. Well, basically, they're looking to a coalition of government and private sector organizations. And one of the key things is that they need everyone globally to be on the same page. Uh, International cooperation is one of the points they really hammer home. There are other collective efforts they propose, like pooling a war chest for insurance companies to carry out subrogation activities, which is where they attempt to recover losses on behalf of the insured. They can't often really afford to do that uh, on an individual basis. It's so costly. But if with the pooling of funds, which is what insurance conceptually kind of is all about, then something like that becomes more possible. One of these asks was pointed directly at Congress, and I'm curious what they're asking of things that we can control from a domestic perspective. Sure. Yeah. So in the U.S., one of these things that's interesting is they want to shield companies from legal liability in taking defensive measures. So, for example, today, a telecommunications company that blocks malicious traffic can actually face some legal liability for doing that um, if someone takes legal action against them. And this task force wants Congress to provide some legal indemnification for those kinds of actions. They're very clear, by the way, that they this is not advocating uh, that they're authorizing hacking back. It's just for defensive actions. Yeah, an important distinction. And that'll be fascinating to keep an eye on. So hopefully we'll have more to report on that down the line. But the last question I really have for you, Tim, is what do you think some steps are that you know we can take as an industry to help improve this problem? And do you think groups like this one might actually help grease the wheels and, and um, make a major impact? You know, I I think they will help um, in part because if you look at who the players are that are involved in the personnel, um, you've got a really good faith uh, effort across companies that are leaders in this space. But the report lays out some good steps uh, that the private sector or the security industry can take. And a lot of those can be summarized as uh, encouraging information sharing within industry, as well as across that boundary between industry and the government or even the military. Um, if you come back to those four high-level goals of deterring attacks, disrupting the business model, helping organizations prepare for attacks, and helping them respond, there's something for the security industry in each of those. Um, disruption of the business model maybe is going to be one of the tougher ones for our industry to participate in, I would think, because there's going to have to be a lot of like regulation and cooperation to get, as one example, the cryptocurrency industry to become more forthcoming with payment indicators. That's going to be a tough one, I think. But in those other areas, um, there are a lot of things that the uh, security industry can do, especially if we're working kind of arm in arm. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, when we talk about a hoodie rating here, I think we're going to be back to the anti hoodies unless Chad throws me for a <laughs> a loop here. But Chad, I'm going to start with you. What would you rate this at? Yeah, I've been loving this uh, run of positivity that we've been having on the podcast instead of everything is... Uh, well, I mean, everything's still terrible, but, uh, you know, it's not melting <laughs> down right now. Um, I, you know, I think this is a good thing. Um, you know, anything that uh, educates lawmakers more on um, cybersecurity industry issues and, um, you know, what 
uh, gives them some good guidance there. Um, I'm not sure that some of the stuff, you know, it seems like pipe dream, like to me, the cryptocurrency uh, industry, you know, maybe uh, maybe some of the new cryptos, you'll be able to get um, some sort of like nice oversight in it. But things like uh, Zcash or Monero or are just difficult, if not impossible to, um, you know, track uh, the payments that go through that. So. It's little things like that uh, that I think will be hard for him. So I'll, I'll give it a I'll give it a seven out of out of ten goodies. Um, yeah, that works for me. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, what do you think? Yeah, that's that's really right around the zone that I was in as well. Um, I love the specificity of this, and we don't have time to go into specifics. I had to keep it kind of high level, but I really encourage people to take a look because that's one of the things that gives me hope in this is looking at how specific the actions are that they're asking government and private sector, et cetera, to take. So, yeah, you know, I'd be on a higher um, rating than seven if I thought that things like some of those crypto problems could be overcome. I also, I kind of wish that they had focused a little bit on double extortion um, more. They mention it, but th- there are things I think that could be done from a legal perspective that might actually make a difference in double extortion. And those didn't come up in it. But uh, anyway, so I don't know. Let's say I'll, I'll go I'll go six because of that. But um, but I don't know. It Maybe. Yeah, it's pretty good, though. That's a that's a, a positive six. Yay, a positive pleasant six. I thought we might try this on for size, just see what it feels like to say happy, nice things into the world. <laughs> but uh, it feels good. I think I'm going to have a celebratory burrito. Ooh. Breaking Badness brought to you by Burrito. burrito. Have one and then sleep in your purple mattress. <laughs> in? Your dog can join you in a Casper bed. I think we I think we did it justice. Um, well, thank you two so much for all of your hard work. And of course, it's time for two truths and a lie. And Tim, you're up this week and the game goes like this. If this is the first time you're tuning in, we're going to play two truths and a lie. But rather than talk about ourselves, we're going to share three articles and then um, and the other two members are going to guess which is the lie. So, Tim, hit us, hit us with what you got. All right, here we go. Number one. France kicks off its trial COVID vaccine passport program with a data breach. Number two, Microsoft discovers flaws in IoT operating systems. Number three, Babbitt Group says single extortion is the new double extortion, so they're going straight to the exposure side of the extortion. Well, we enjoyed positivity for the first part of this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, it's okay, Tim. It's harder to find the good stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, at least one of these is a lie. So there's that. There's that. There's the positive. The silver lining. You know, I I learned early on uh, from, you know, my studies in France during college when I did uh, a semester abroad. And uh, I learned that I just don't trust the French. So I'm going to go with that one being the lie. This is why study abroad programs are so important. Sacré bleu. Sacré bleu. Where did you study in France? I don't know if I knew that. Uh, I was in Po, yeah, the University of Po. It's a it's a little town um, in the Pyrenees. Ooh, I was yeah. in. I studied in Lyon. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, lion, 
Great place. Lion. Yeah, 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 lion. Bunch of liars there. No, Foyer, uh, <laughs> lion, um, Arc de Triumph, all those. Yeah. I have um, a friend who uh, booked a trip to France, um, and I'll just tell this story quick. This is lovely. She uh, she was booking flights to Nice, um, but she called, uh, having not been to France before or speaking much French, and um, said, uh, you know, to the people on the phone that she would like tickets to Nice. And, oh. um, <laughs> and oh, the lady was like, no. oh, honey. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. There's just, that's the beauty of being places you're not familiar and especially speaking a language you're not familiar with is you just, nothing like thrashes your dignity like um, cultural and language barriers, let me tell you. Mm. Deeply butchering yeah. the, uh, an yeah. important name. And you yeah. know, the French just love to really gouge that knife into you when you pronounce something wrong, um, slightly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they I feel love like it. We're the with same. just a little snicker <laughs> yeah yeah a little snicker. And it, true and i guess it's mostly just parisians <clears throat> <laughs> oh my gosh yeah one of my favorite um failures on my end is i was using a text you know you learn um jargon from a textbook that's like 30 years old when you're just you know in school and so there were a lot of words that i learned that were some sometimes not even accurate but oftentimes out of date and one of the best failures on my end is I was using a fake false cognate um, for excited and apparently it translated more to aroused than happy and that led to some confusion uh, <laughs> solid that's a good one <laughs> so see anyway. these these just uh, enrich the tapestry of your your existence. And it's Anywho. material for your one-woman show, by the there way. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Oh, gosh. Well, I'm going to agree with Chad. I mean, I, I do trust the French, but um, just for fun, I'm going to double down with him. Because honestly, those are really good, Tim. I I have no idea. <laughs> so so what you're saying is that you don't you think the French are lying about having a data breach, which is very interesting. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you think about that dynamic... But, sacré bleu, you are both correct. That was the lie. <laughs> 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 oh, 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 gosh. Oh, love my, uh, me a good nasal laugh. Well, victorious, Chad. Yeah. Oh, I, I'm going to go uh, eat some of that brie and baguette in my fridge. Uh, some celebratory brie. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, what do you think uh, Brie Larson's favorite kind of cheese is? I don't know, but I uh, I feel like it uh, might be a data breach. <laughs> That's so stupid. Get me out of here. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, that's all we have for this week. Of course, we will be back next week. I think Chad is going to be gone, though. We might be sans Chad. So mm. we're going to give him a break. Chadless? Chadless in Seattle? Chadless in Seattle. We'll have a hanging Chad. I didn't um, even know I was going to be gone. <laughs> yeah. That is true. So the famed Tay-Tay will be joining us for our recording next week. So he'll he'll give Chad a, a break and Chad can um, not have to laugh at puns for a few weeks here. Give him some time away from that. Fantastic. He can take a bite <laughs> of the big apple. <laughs> Oh, gosh. All right. Well, you all have a wonderful week. And of course, we'll be back next week for another episode of Breaking Badness. 
That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's all we have for this week. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click. <laughs>